You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise that it's such a glorious time of year you have reassembled us here in this place that we might receive of your word and of the holy meal which you instituted for our salvation. Strengthen and bless us, God, as we come to a right understanding of your word. Bless us that it may bear fruit in our lives, that we may come evermore to resemble you and so give you glory. And this we ask in the precious name of him who lived and died and rose again for our sake, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Ian, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take over the controls. Okay. I say, and it's... Could you click it one time for me? There we go. All right. So... Um, I, one of the things I love about being part of the North American Lutheran Church is that we have courageous leaders. Um, you may know that we have an ongoing initiative in terms of discipleship. That is just learning the tools to be Christ followers between Sundays in the midst of the cut and thrust of real life. Um, and the reason why I say that we have courageous leaders is that when our first sitting bishop, Bishop John Berdosky, when we all discerned together that this was where the Lord was calling us, he looked at his executive team. When the four of them were gathered, him plus three others, there were more than a hundred years of ministry experience sitting in the room. And he looked at them and said, you know what? Lutherans don't do discipleship very well, or at least we haven't in America. So I'll tell you what, we're going to sit at the feet of others and learn. And that's exactly what he did. They brought on what we would think of as executive coaches in the secular world. It's a little different in the, in the church world. But brought them on and said, teach us how to do discipleship. You've been doing this well in your organizations for a long time. And first there, there was a first wave, then a second wave, and now the third wave is going on where we have pastors who are gathering together and training under other people who have more experience than us so that we can then go out and train even more pastors on how to do this. Now, I'm in one of these groups, and we meet every other week for an hour and a half online, and we're working our work, way through a book called Living Forward by Daniel Harkavy. And um, we've been blessed to have him as one of our coaches because even though he's an executive coach in the secular world, he's a Christian coach in the Christian world. And um, the book we're reading starts out with this example. So I'm going to ask you to engage in a little thought experiment with me. So just, you're going to have to engage the imaginations here. I hope it's not too early for that. So imagine that you're walking along this beautiful secluded lake, just enjoying the scenery, and up comes 
an SUV with a little, co- uh, little canoe on top of it. Two men get out of the SUV. They go around to the back door of the SUV. They open it up, and out of it they pull a giant trunk. And out of the back door of the back seat of, of the SUV, they pull bags of money. And they start pulling out bunches of hundreds, and they're counting them into the box until they get to a million dollars. Then they close the box, latch it, take the canoe off the top of the SUV, put the chest into the canoe. They get in the canoe and they paddle out 60, 80 feet into the lake. And they take that chest and they over the side and down it goes. Blub, 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 blub. They come back to the shore and they see you. And they say, oh, don't worry, it's not stolen. We made a killing in, in the market this year. And we wanted to give back. We wanted to give it to someone worthy. Here's the problem. We weren't sure who to give it to. So we figured that only someone who's got enough industry and ambition to get it off the bottom of the lake can get the money. They get in their car and they drive off. So now what do you do? <laughs> you get a boat, find a scuba shop, <laughs> mark carefully all the, the landmarks to try and figure out exactly where they drop that thing so you don't forget, right? Yeah. And all of that effort for something that you know will only be useful for a little while. I mean, you're hoping it's going to set you up for the rest of your life, but that's the end of its usefulness, right? In that way, we're very much like those we see at the beginning of our gospel reading. They've heard the rumor of this feeding of the 5,000. They've heard that there's an all-you-can-eat buffet if they can find this Jesus guy. <laughs> now, before we judge them too harshly, understand that they lived in a very different world than we live. They, like a third of the world's population, even today, they went to bed hungry. They had less than the 2,000 calories that are recommended by the FDA for the sustaining of human life and that we get in a milkshake and a Dorito. They, this felt to them like getting set up for life. And so they were seeking this Jesus character. And they go to great efforts. They get in their boats and they go across this, this inland sea till they finally track him down. And when they find him, Jesus says, you're looking for the wrong thing. Jesus says, you're looking for the wrong thing. He says to them this. He says, Ian, can you click that again? Something, I think my remote control's dead. Forward. There you go. Yeah, don't, don't switch over to the other window again. It should work from here. Is that working? Yes, it is. Okay, good. So, he says this. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, if you're a good Lutheran, the word that jumps out at you is this one, work. Because we like to repeat Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 as often as we can. We are saved by grace, through faith, not by works that none may boast. So what's Jesus getting at? Well, First of all, he's contrasting the work that they're doing for food that perishes with the work that God does through the Son of Man. They're working for food that perishes, but the Son of Man will give to them food that will not perish. 
That's God's work. But the first half of the sentence is still a little confusing because that work word carries across that conjunction but. So you really should read, do not work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. So what's Jesus getting at here? There is work for us to do. It's just not the work that saves. See, those are, uh, we children of the Reformation can draw an unfortunate and unbiblical wedge between faith and works in our attempt to glorify God and get our biblical theology right. It's an unbiblical position. See, the Reformers were fond of saying that it is by grace through faith that we are saved. But the faith that saves, while it, we are saved by faith alone, the faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by the works of faith. Not the works of the law, but the works of faith. Martin Luther would say it this way. He would say, the true living faith which the Holy Spirit instills into the heart simply cannot be idle. Catch that? The Holy Spirit gives faith through the preaching of the gospel through the speaking of God's Word. It's the Holy Spirit's gift to you, your faith. But then, that faith can't bear to sit still. It has things to do. And what are those things? Well, it begins with the instructions Jesus gives us. A.W. Tozer, the famous American evangelist and pastor, said it this way. He said, The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience. Nor does it recognize any obedience that doesn't spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. What we are called to do, the, the gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ, but we have another gift that God's giving to us too. The things we have left to do. And that's what Ephesians 2.10 is about. If you want to go home and check it. Jesus, see, and these, these people who are listening to Jesus catch the double meaning of Jesus' words and they say, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus responds, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And this is again another clever word play by Jesus. This is the, they say, what should we be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus wants to make clear to them, there's no God work they can do. Okay. Remember, remember when we used to have those WWJD bracelets? They were popular for a while. What would Jesus do? I, best speaker I ever heard about that at a youth rally. He said, you want to know what Jesus would do? He would live a sinless life. He would die a horrible death for your, your sake and the sake of all humanity. He would rise again and then he would reign at the right hand of the Father. That's what Jesus would do. You go ahead and try. The work of God is that you believe in Him who He has sent. God works faith in our hearts through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus goes on to say the words we love so much. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And there you see the two types of work tied into one sentence. The work of God in creating faith 
grasps on to the salvation Jesus Christ has wrought for us and our work. Did you catch the two verbs? Come and believe. Believe is God's work. Come is ours. Come is ours. Here's the reality. Though God, salvation is by grace, that is, it is a gift that we receive through faith, equally cooperating with God in our spiritual life is also a gift from God. It may not feel like that at times, but this is how we get stronger. This is how God is raising up His sons and daughters for the eternal inheritance they are about to receive. To use the word work again, this is, as St. Paul would say, how we work out our faith in fear and trembling. The faith is a gift. The working out, we cooperate with God in. And the good, those good old German Lutheran theologians had a wonderful word for it. Zelsorga. Anyone speak German? It means the cure of the soul. God wants more than just to let us squeak into heaven under the finish line when we get to the end of our lives. He wants to begin to cure the wounds that sin has caused to us right now and the wounds we have caused to ourselves and others in our own sinfulness. In this we cooperate with God's grace. The cure of our souls is the point of Christian discipleship. Now, in the ancient church, they didn't have German yet, so they used Greek, which is not surprising, and they used the word therapeia, which means the same thing. Of course, you can pick up that this is the, where we get our English word therapy from, right? Now, I've been going through physical therapy right now. If you noticed that back at the church picnic, I was walking like a hundred-year-old man up here, my signature tiny steps, because my back was out. So I got in line and got, I went to my primary care physician to get my referral to go to physical therapy. And I said to him, I said, I guess I need to see an orthopedist, right? Now, I knew, I knew physical therapy is what I need because I've had this injury before. I thought maybe at 51 they need to teach me some new exercises because um, apparently the ones I was doing ain't doing it. And, uh, and he said, oh, everybody wants to go to orthopedics. Nobody wants to go to physical therapy. Well, why do you think? Because ortho orthopedics involves the doc doing for us, and physical therapy involves us getting in the process. And that therapia, that cure of our souls in which we are to engage, A.W. Tozer used the word obedience that springs from faith, and St. Paul will use that too. He'll call that the faith of obedience. In medical terms, they call it compliance. You know, we live in a moment in history when both political parties are calling for reform of the medical system, even if it's for different reasons. Everyone's screaming that we need better medical care and compliance is at an all-time low. I had my doc tell me that compliance is down around 20%. 20% of people follow the instructions their doctor gives them when they actually leave the office. And then they wonder why their health isn't improving. We get to cooperate with God. God has a prescription for the cure of our souls that springs from the salvation He has wrought for us in Jesus Christ. And there's a couple of ways at least we cooperate with God in the cure of our souls. The first one is this, the disciplines of the Christian life. 
This time last year, we were in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus holds up three spiritual disciplines in that sermon. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Do you know the word discipline in the Latin is the same as the word for a trellis? I'm not a gardener. I would not know what that is, except for I have a wife who grows amazing green beans. A trellis is what you put next to your rose bush or your green beans or your snow peas or your tomatoes because those plants don't bear their best fruit if you just let them wander around on the ground. They need a stronger structure to grow up so the tomatoes don't lie on the ground and rot and so the, the weight of the green beans doesn't break the branches and all that other stuff. We're stronger with those disciplines. And this, those disciplines of the Christian life that Jesus calls us to are part of how we are engaged in the cure of our soul. There's also participating in God's beloved community. Because for all her, her mistakes and her warts and her difficulties, the church, the beloved community of God, those called to faith in Jesus Christ, is the one place that will always hold Jesus up before our eyes as both our teacher and our Savior, our Lord and our Savior. And the community of faith is the one place where you'll get challenged on whether you're being obedient, hopefully kindly. And when you realize you're falling short, you'll also be encouraged by the people around you to deeper discipleship and the blessings that come with it. We also are called to expose ourselves to the Word of God. This come of Jesus is this come to the Word. Come to the Word of God. Do you know how insanely blessed we are that we live in a time when you can have your own Bible? When Luther was born into the world, Bibles were chained to the altars because it cost three years' salary for a duke to have a complete Bible. You can get it for free on your smartphone. We're as exposed to the Word of God as we choose to be. And preeminently we're exposed to the Word of God here in worship where it, it structures our experience and hopefully when we hear biblically sound sermons that help us understand the Word of God. And finally, there's of course what Jesus is talking about in today's Gospel reading. Receiving Him who comes down from heaven as often as we can. That's why in the early church they had Eucharist weekly and sometimes more often than that. They would celebrate Holy Communion because I, I love the way that uh, my aunt's pastor told her when she was growing up. Um, her pastor said to her, says, you know what? He says, you always pay attention to the words said at Holy Communion. He says, because I can screw up the sermon, but if I follow the script, I can't screw up Communion. You will always hear the Gospel. And you will always know that in this meal, the Lord Jesus Christ continues to come down from heaven and come to you. And I, I love the way our Roman Catholic brothers call, say this. They say, body, blood, soul, and divinity. That's beautiful. That's exactly what we're receiving when we receive that bread and wine that's been covered over by the Word of God. So these are the things we do to cooperate with God in the cure of our souls. And it is our privilege to do so. Because this is how we get strong. We don't want to be like so many people are apparently in our culture where they say, I trust the manufacturer of the medicine. I trust the doctor of the medicine. But you know, I am binge watching Netflix here and I cannot get up off the sofa to go take the medicine. <laughs> 
That's not a good way to approach the spiritual life. Indeed, in the early churches, they talked about therapeia, the cure of the soul. Do you know what they called the church? The gymnasium. This was the place we came to work out to get strong for the challenges we were going to face when we went back out into a sin-soaked world. Where with one of the great understatements of the New Testament, Jesus says, you will have trouble <laughs> to grow strong, to cooperate with God, not in our salvation, which He alone can forge, but in the strengthening of ourselves in the cure of our souls, to cooperate in His grace. This is our privilege as His disciples. And it's what being a disciple is all about. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we give thanks that You alone have wrought our souls salvation. That You have given us the disciplines and obedience to follow them, that you've given us the community of the church where we can work out with one another. And Lord knows it's easier to stick to a workout regimen when you're meeting a partner. Bless us. Strengthen us. Grant us the grace to follow your prescription that we may grow stronger and bear better fruit in our spiritual lives, giving you the glory and coming more and more in our characters to resemble you. This we ask in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sleeping, my presence, my life.